Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that we have of coming to camp meeting and be able to learn, to learn more about you and to be closer to you, to spend this time devoted to, to this on a, on a daily, multiple basis. It, it draws us closer and, and gives us visions of heaven. I pray that you'll be with all the classes happening. And thank you that everything worked out uh, IT-wise. And I uh, pray you'll bless this class that we can learn what we need to do in our centers. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Diana Brooke, uh, Community Service Director for 17 years. When I first got here, I felt totally incompetent. I have to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> and my husband assured me I was born for this job. And I guess he knows me better than I know myself because I really uh, own this ministry at this point. And I just read every book I could find, went to every class I could. And you know, I'd been a community service director before, but I'd never been to it on this level. So um, when I go to all these conventions and I learn all this stuff and I, I want to bring it home and then give it out so everybody can know what I know. And I have classes and I bring speakers in and I thought, what a waste of time that was. Nobody got inspired. How, how depressing. But then I'll find one person got inspired and they started a ministry and, and that's all it takes. You know. So um, I signed up for this interview course because I thought that's something we all need to do better at. And um, the NAD puts this out, it's instructor's guide, and I want to read to you one thing it says at the beginning. You know, there are tens of thousands of Seventh-day Adventists in North America who faithfully volunteer in ACS. And they staff all kinds of agencies, food pantry, clothing, health screening, disaster, all, all those things. But nonetheless, as we evaluate the Adventist Community Services organizations across North America, we are aware of one area of considerable weakness. And this is the in the people skills that must go with the distribution of material help. The uh, interviewing class they developed to try and get you to realize how important an interviewing class really, or, or you know, the fact that you have to interview uh, to help your clients better. And how we're shortchanging both of us, the helper and the, the client, by not interviewing. Uh, the interviewing process is one of the weakest skills in the ACS. Um, I went to a brand new center. She was just opening, so I took her some tables and some forms and, you know, maybe a rack. I can't remember, you know, just the stuff that she needed for a center. And she had it all organized and clean. It was really beautiful. And I said, and where do you interview? She goes, oh, no, I don't have to interview, do I? And I'm like, oh, you know, how do you know what to give your clients? Oh, I just ask them. I'm like, well, that's an interview. You know, you ask them, and they tell you about that's an interview. And she goes, well, I don't want to have to fill out a form. And I said, well, it's better for you to do that, and we're going to go through all the reasons why. It's really not something you, I want you to think of, oh, no, an interview form. You know, it's, it's a positive for both. Now, the NAD does go a little uber on their, their statistics. And there's a reason for that. 
we are required to prove that we don't discriminate for any reason. And the only way to do that is to keep records of who we help. You haven't missed anything. What an interview is, a conversation with a purpose. It's not a conversation. It's a conversation with a purpose. It's a little different. The act of listening to what a client says, assessing their need, responding appropriately by providing the services that are requested or that you assess, and making referrals to other organizations. For this purpose, process to be effective, it must be private. All records are kept confidential, even from other staff. Watch talking about clients among yourself. We're going to go through all these on a more in-depth as we go. Benefits of interviewing. Everybody has a story. When I went down to Katrina, I was all about distribution. Just get stuff out there, they need it. So it's like, throw the stuff out of the truck, go on to the next one. That, that was my mindset. And I realized I was the only one in the truck. Everybody else was back there listening to the story. All those victims, they had a story and they wanted to tell it. And that's what it was all about. It's about the people. It's not about us. It's not about the stuff, not the goods. It's about the client and helping them. And they just had to tell their story. And they didn't feel like we were helping them unless we listened to their story. And they were so, so appreciative that we were able to, to do that. I was totally humiliated and I learned a lesson that day. It's not about me. It's not about the stuff. It's about, okay, listen to the story. And you assess their need beyond their request. Sometimes you can listen to their story and you can sort out maybe they need more than they're asking for. Maybe I can help them in more ways than they realize I can help. Screening for eligibility for other agencies. I'm trying to get out of the screen so you can see it. We can't help everybody with all their needs. Just don't even try because, you know, we can't do everything. But maybe we can refer to another organization that, that can help their needs. So we need to be aware of what else is going on in our area. Now, I, when I first got here, tried to learn what every entity was out there in every county and like realizing that's way beyond my scope of my ability and, and even logic. So I just try to encourage our center directors to know what else is out there and what they are and to network with them. Let them know, hey, we're here, we give away clothing, whatever. So you can refer to each other. And demonstrating care meeting emotional and spiritual needs. We will go through all of this a little bit more. What interviewing is not. A normal conversation is, you say something, I say something. You tell a story, I tell a story back. You give your opinion, I give my opinion. And we just go back and forth and it's fun. But that's not what an interview is. An interview is active listening. You're the, you're the helper, they're the 
as a client, and it's not about you. They don't want to hear about you. And you shouldn't be telling them personal stories. You should just be listening. We'll go through more of that later, too. You're a listener and a helper. So. Interviewing is not just screening for eligibility or filling out a form or financial management or Bible instruction. It can be all of the above and more. But you should, more than anything, demonstrate that you care. Keeping record skills. Uh, we do have a form. It's a form with all the information that an interview needs to intake. Your biographical name, address, phone number, number of kids, your needs, your birth date, all that. It's on there. It has financial information on there. And a lot of people just give the form out and have them fill it out, and that's fine. But you need to intake it, and you need to go over it. And you need to keep it in a really confidential uh, place. I give money out every year for filing cabinets that have locks on them because it is really important that they are kept totally confidential. If you have a locked door on your office, if you have a private office, that's fine too. It, as long as it isn't accessible to just anybody who wants to see them. Yes, I have software. Some people like it, some people don't, but there is software that you can put on your computer. You can download it on the website, and it is basically the interview form on the computer. Um, I had it developed by, by a, a man who moved to Texas, but he still has a local phone number to Michigan, and he, he is right on the spot. I, I know some people... Who, who work with food pantries don't don't like it because it deals with everything, not just food. But um, it is very comprehensive and it does work. So yeah, it is on, and that is a, a excellent way of keeping it confidential. Um, it helps you get all the facts so you can plan. It also lets you know their history when they return. I can't remember. Everyone, if you have a lot of clients, so sometimes you can if you don't have a lot, but still, what did I give them last time? You know, how long have they been? When was the last time they were here? Um, you decide in your center how often you allow your clients to come back. And you decide how much you give them. We have a, a rule that we'd like to give them at least three days clothing change, if you have it. If you have more, great. It's, it's your decision. But keeping that down helps them, helps you know how well you've been able, or maybe I didn't have something last time, so I can give them a little bit more this time. And, you know, we can't rely on our memories. So, um, also, it is really important, like when ACS directors go on vacation, they just shut down. Like, no, you're supposed to have someone that can step into your place and take over so we don't hurt clients when they don't get what they need. And uh, they don't have any record, you know, they don't remember because they weren't the ones interviewing or helping at that point. So it, uh, a record that's in writing or on the computer will help them to know what you've done subsequent or, you know, before. So... It helps you stay focused on 
on your clients. Okay. There are five professional values which are consistent with Seventh-day Adventist beliefs and traditions. And now we're going to pretty much focus on how we relate to our clients. Most of the boring stuff is over now, and maybe it'll get a little bit more interesting. Uh, they say that I went to a class at a convention on teaching. They say me standing up here and talking to you sitting there is about 7% retention of what I say. You know, you're not going to remember it because I'm just, and here I am doing that. You know, I didn't jump through any hoops and find out how I could make this more interesting, but you need to interact to, to remember, and uh, I'm going to try and do that a little bit later so you can pair up and talk to each other. Or, you know, feel free to ask questions. Okay. What is your attitude towards the poor? Okay. The five things are all people have an inherent worth and dignity. So when they come into your office, you should stand up, greet them, shake their hands, tell them where to sit, sit down, look them straight in the eye. I had an unusual situation. I had to talk to a person for 45 minutes. It was in a group, but still, we talked to him for 45 minutes, and not once in the 45 minutes I talked to him did he ever raise his eyes from the ground. He never made eye contact with anyone there. And I honestly can tell you, I had no trust factor with this person. No eye contact. I think there's something wrong here. You know, there's shame or there, there's something that he, he didn't want to make eye contact. So you want to make eye contact and, and just give them a feeling that they're of value. All people have the capacity to grow and improve. We're all in the same boat. Some of us aren't as far on our journey as others. Some of us have had some setbacks, but we all are going to grow and, and we can do better. All people are responsible for themselves and not to negatively affect others by their actions. Um, it's good to have autonomy and you know to have your right to your opinion, but you shouldn't hurt other people in the process. All people's needs are the same. We all need air, we all need water, we all need food, shelter, but yet we're uniquely different from each other. And all people need to belong to something bigger than themselves. I will just put this vignette in there because it's my favorite story. Evelyn Kissinger told us a story about how this one particular group of people were notorious for eating really, really unhealthy food. Yet they lived so long. And they couldn't figure out how they could be so bad and yet live so long. And they discovered that they are such a cohesive, knit, closely knit group that they were a part of something bigger. And the uh, family atmosphere of, of this group was so close. They just helped each other that it was so healthy that it counteracted their eating all that bad food. <laughs> and they live longer. So, you know. Being close like that, and yeah, that's amazing, and it really was it's a true story. You need to be a part of something bigger, but something better. You need to improve yourself with, with that whatever that bigger is. You know, not the mafia. It's going to be you know a church group or, or you know something like that. <laughs> so, okay. 
Well, just in getting a little more in depth, your client has the right to their own opinion as long as it does not infringe on the rights of others. I mentioned that. You need to help them to be better selves. Help themselves to be better, not to be like you, but to be whoever they are better. That's our goal. Not to make decisions for them. They need to make their own decisions. It's self-defeating because you're just going to make them very uh, dependent on you if, if they don't make a decision for themselves. So you try and help them to make their own decisions and not to impose your beliefs. That is very difficult as a Christian. You want them to believe like you do, but there's ways of doing that, not, not coercively. And clients must be aware that they have the choices and they have... Um, they are the chief problem solver of their lives to try and help them to help themselves. It is not prohibited that you give your opinion or suggestion as there are many ways to solve one problem and you can help them, but it's still their decision whether they choose to, to take your suggestion or not. <coughs> and encourage self-determination. Okay. And I cannot do a class without confidentiality. That's important. Um, a lot has been said and written about this and discussed among ourselves. A confidentiality is an implicit agreement between the client and the practitioner. The client has the right to all the information that we have to, kept on them. They have a right to see what we write, what we put down on the forms that we fill out, and what we have on record. Trust is an important in, trust is important, I have that typo, is important to the helping process. You really can't help someone unless they know you care about them. There's a saying they don't, uh, you know, about, they don't care unless they know how much you care. You can't really help them unless they feel like you really want to help them. After some reassurance, the client should feel that they're able to talk freely about their situation. I have been in interview processes where I knew I wasn't confidential. I knew people were listening that shouldn't be listening. And the, the, the room that they took me into to ask me questions was not private enough, and I just clammed up. I just didn't tell them anything. And they were, like, frustrated. So I just don't feel confident that this information I'm giving you is not going to go everywhere because they could hear. Other people could hear. It was... Not a good thing. So it should be private. And not everybody has a center with a private office where you can shut the door, but maybe make appointments where you can only have that one person there at that time, or somehow you need to make it a, a very private situation to, to gain their trust. And one more very important thing, we are ethically ethical reporters, ethically bound to report any child abuse, child neglect, any kind of criminal activity, especially in, in regards to, to child abuse. Um, I don't believe in, in all the courses I've taken that we are obligated by law, as a pastor would be or a doctor, but we still do it, and I encourage it. We've taken courses on it to identify it. I ask all my directors to take the verified volunteers course so they know what to look for and know who to call. So we do report all illegal activity. And practitioners should be careful to honor this trust with other staff 
and not to gossip about clients is so easy because we all know who they are to talk about them. But what was said should stay in the interview process. And ACS across the board does not discriminate on any basis. And it's never been a real problem in Michigan as it has been in some places. Um, one of my girlfriends who helps veterans and no, she helps active enlisted soldiers and their families because they don't get paid very much and they're not allowed to come and ask for help because it makes the, the military look bad. So they try and discreetly um, you know, give things to you know, children's clothing to their, their kids and stuff. And she said she sent a soldier's family to an Adventist community service center. This little boy standing in a snowstorm without a coat. I won't tell you where it was, but they knocked on the door and the lady answered and she's, they're open, you know, they have coats. And uh, she said, no, we only help Seventh-day Adventists and if you're not in the church, you, you, we can't help you. And she shut the door in their face. I liked, I did exactly what you did. I gasped. So my secretary and I got together and we sent him a coat. So he got a coat, but like, I called the NAD and I, I said, you need to take care of this. This should never happen. So we don't discriminate on, on the basis of religion. You don't have to be an Adventist and you don't have to be non-Adventist. You just have to be a person. You don't have to be, you know, it can be handicapped, you can be any race you want, any gender you want. I have to include no gender nowadays. We, we don't always know what gender we're helping, but we still have to help that person. So we don't do that. And like I said, some of those record keeping is important. If we, we write grants and we're required to prove that we don't discriminate in any grant that we write, especially a government grant. So it's important that we keep that information. Some people will wonder, why do you ask for that? And I said, well, we, we need to know. And it's sometimes difficult. And it's, you know, we don't require them to fill out the form. If they don't want to fill it out and they leave it blank, that's fine. You know, it's not something that we don't help you if you don't tell us what race you are. But, but we do we request the information of people. Okay. Blocking effective helping. Okay, what are some of the um, attitudes you have towards poor people? And we're going to read, read some of the Bible text. Uh, the wealthy and successful are blessed by God, therefore the poor are not blessed by God. They're... They're cursed by God, which we see this in uh, John 9. Um, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, that the works of God should be revealed in him. So I guess time and chance happened to all of us. If we were just strong enough, we could surmount all our problems. And it's your fault you're having this problem. Okay, let's, uh, we should promote healthy independence but bearing one another's burdens. This is a Christian concept found in Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of God. So we're here to help each other. And uh, we have seen some real success stories. I don't know if you have any success stories you'd like to share with us, but we have seen some people really grow and, and give back. And it's good for them to see them being able to give back. Okay. 
We don't limit eligibility because we don't want them to get more than they deserve. Denying access to a client for fear they may become lazy is actually a destructive practice. Reducing assistance when a client starts working is counterproductive. They still need help. I have a client right now. I had to take her shopping. I had to be very discreet about it because she was so embarrassed. But she lost her job three times in a year and a half. And it's no fault of her own. She just got laid off. They just got rid of her department because they couldn't afford. And she was a short timer, so she got laid off. And that happened twice in one year. And she just came to me crying. She says, am I doing something wrong? You know, I'm like, no. I said, is there something wrong with me? I said, no, you're fine. You know, so uh, she looks okay from the outside. People at, at church will say, oh, you're, you're perfect. I wish I could be like you. And they, you don't know. You don't understand, you know. So I helped her. Even though she was still working, I still helped her because she has so many built-up bills from the past, and she still needs help. Blaming the victim means we assign responsibility for the problem, condition, or circumstance on the person who has experienced the problem. And we confuse the symptoms with the cause of the problem. The victims are not usually the cause of the problem. It's usually a bigger Thing. Like we, we think of people, okay, people in the inner city, they're lazy, they don't want to work, you know, and, and growing up in the inner city is sometimes a bigger uh, burden than we can, person can bear. So we can't blame the victim or the circumstance they're in. Now, when someone comes into the interviewing room with you, uh, I need to be aware that, um, I think I mentioned this in, in light before, 7% of our communication is our words. And that's really scary. 38% <laughs> is the tone of our voice. And 55 is body language. So, yes, we need to be careful what we say, but we also need to be careful of the way we look at people and the way we talk to people in their in their tone. If I sat here, I should have a picture of, of someone sitting at a desk with a frown, you know. <laughs> what kind of uh, message am I relaying there, you know? <laughs> or if I if I, I went to a desk and, and I'm like this, you know, like can I help you today, you know? Like what kind of impression would that give? <laughs> Or if you start doodling, or you know, <laughs> any other uh, examples of poor body language. Um, your attitudes toward the poor, they come out whether you want to or not. You'd be really careful. And there are people that I, I, I can understand it would be more difficult to be pleasant with than others. But it's you know, got to be a, a put on. I hate to say this, but you have to really be aware of, of your... Tone. Okay. Key parts of the interview. Developing trust, dating, data gathering, which is why you're there, and then plan of action. You need to listen with affirming warmth. And they trust you and they start unloading on you and you're deciphering what 
what's good, what, do I, what can I do to help, you know, what parts of this story can I glean from, and dating gathering. Uh, needs assessment, uh, okay, they need clothing, but maybe they need prescription meds more, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they're telling you. Sort out the problems you can do something about from the ones you can't. Like I said, we can't solve all their problems. <laughs> and then developing a plan of action, um, sharing the plan with the client to get them to buy into it. Um, you okay if I give you some clothes and write you uh, uh, pay for the for your child's pres prescription? Uh, let them help you plan. Plan should be a realistic plan, and uh, and don't do anything the client can do for themselves. We need to help them to solve their own problems. So some things we don't want to do. This is the scary part for me. It's called lag time. We speak at 150 words per minute, but all of us have minds that, that, that go faster than our mouths. It's, always, it's a common problem. And we listen at about 400 words per minute. So what are you going to do with that 250-word difference? What's called lag time. So I find myself in a classroom or in a situation where I'm listening to somebody and they say something that sparks me to think, oh, I'm start daydreaming over here. Or, I'm, oh, yeah, after this interview, I've got to go do this. Or you know, It's so easy to not focus on them, and that's kind of something you can use positively or, or negatively. You need to use the lag time between listening creatively and positively to help your client. Just be aware of that, I guess, I think is more important than, than anything. Oh, yeah, I've got to stay focused. You know, listening skills, it's hard work. It's tiring. I mean, you get exhausted. Counselors will tell you, you know, having a conversation back and forth, it's relaxing, but listening and counseling and, and you know being a helper is exhausting and it's totally different than just having a conversation. Okay, I have this friendly little bug that just... <laughs> Three skills to help you be a good listener. This is something you're going to help me with. Paraphrasing, feeling check, and active questioning. Paraphrasing. The skill of responding to the meaning of another person's words by clarifying the content for accuracy. Response should be in your own words, not just parroting their words. So somebody give me an example of paraphrasing. I'm going to say something like, I'm really depressed at this point in time. My husband just lost his job. And you know, the kids are, are out of control, and I just don't have enough food on the table, and, and the kids are growing, and I, I can't keep up with their needs, and, and I'm, I'm just discouraged right now. So how would you paraphrase? I'll let you think about it, but, you know, how would you put that in some other words? We can understand your Good idea, yeah. The purpose is to acknowledge that you have heard them. You are listening. 
<laughs> Let them know what their statement means to you. And if you get it wrong, they'll correct you. Pretty much you got it right. And you usually are. If you're listening, you're going to get it right. Test your understanding of what they're saying. I want to make sure. Paraphrasing increases accuracy and conveys feelings of caring, which is why we're there. Very important. Feeling check. The skill of responding to the nonverbal cues, clues, by making a guess about what the other is feeling. Um, there are some feeling words. I think you did a real good job. Overwhelmed, stress. Those are excellent words. Any other feeling words you could come up with? Oh, we could have you. There's a, this is what they, they gave me for, for an idea of feeling words. You know, I just pass this around. Yeah. Feeling check. Imagine that you're picking up someone's nonverbal cues and you want to respond to that feeling underneath. I'm having a terrible time with my gas company. I get the feeling you're discouraged right now. Is that right? Not, you should see my gas bill. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a feeling, caring thing to say. That would be more of a conversation, not a helping. So You can practice with each other. Practice on the next person you meet, say, doing a feeling check. <laughs> Nothing wrong with practicing. Okay. This is a hard one, and this one you have to do a lot of thinking. And this is a hard one for me. Active questioning. The ability to ask questions based on volunteered information that you did not ask for. Ideas, facts, or feelings. The ability to ask questions based on volunteered information you did not ask for. Um, a good question prompts a client's story. It's fuel for conversation. You cannot ask an appropriate question if you're not listening, so it means you're listening. Give permission for the client to tell more, and it's good for data gathering. Um, positive questioning. I think some of you already may have asked a, a positive question when I said, well, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed by my... Anybody want to venture on a, a, a active questioning, a positive questioning, based on our conversation already? Most people know how to ask questions. Creative questions are a fuel for keeping a conversation going. Good questions prompt the other person's story. Healthy curiosity is helpful tool in active questioning. You cannot ask an appropriate question unless you're listening, and avoid questions that break the flow of the conversation. You don't want to change change the subject by it. You don't want to probe. You don't, I don't want people to feel that, that I'm interrogating them. Um, you don't want to ask questions as put-downs. So, so you're really a thief. Is that what you're saying? You know, <laughs> not one guy there. <laughs> Using questions to be manipulative. Um, I think most of us aren't manipulators, and you know, if you're there in a caring setting, you're not going to do that, hopefully. But just so you're aware of, of some of the negative ways you could ask a question. Do you, have, do you want to make a statement? Um, when I was down in North Carolina, there was these, uh, we, uh, being down there for three months, I got to know the clients that come in, 
Ah, we have to ask him. Was you to another uh, organization? Does they go from one organization they to do. another? They and they get, try to get out of what they want from mm -hmm. each organization. And, uh, and uh, you have to ask them, and was you there to, you know, and they got to the place where these people knew that we would ask the, that because that we had people working with, with both organizations. Ah. And so they would, when the food came in, they knew what was in our pantry. I mean, I'm talking about North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And they knew who the food was in this pantry. So they would go and get their whole month's supply from one uh, organization mm -hmm. to another. And they are not allowed to do that. At least, I don't know if it is in Michigan that way, but in North Carolina, you can do that. And I found that out when I worked there. And uh, is this a problem in Michigan? Yeah. But if, they, if we don't have everything, we can refer to another food pantry that would have what we don't have. Well, he happened to know, this man happened to know what was in that pantry. And they would get like four or five things out of that pantry, and then they come over and, and get uh, the Adventist so much like four or five. Of oh, the same thing. About the same thing, or okay. whatever. And one person was obsessed with cereal. <laughs> I could tell you story after story of clients that, that my uh, person in Cadillac told me that there's this lady who comes and... and I don't know what her mental health level is, but she has her basic living room and, and dining room wallpapered with canned goods. And she never eats it. She just stores it. And we all know that because you know, people tell us. And so we changed what we give her because we don't want to shortchange somebody else if we're short of food, as long as she gets her hand out. It's like, you know, we have to give it to her. And she almost didn't qualify. But her daughter, on the other hand, was very severely in need, but mom wouldn't give her any of her hoarded food. So, well, they had one yeah. like that in uh, <laughs> uh, the lady uh, uh, that I, I live with uh, when I go down there. She was diplomatic, and she knew that, that storage, how she said, oh, you know, we're out of this. Do you have this European drink? <laughs> I was wondering, can, can I send over well, a certain person uh, and, and, and get some of that? We don't have it in this pantry, but uh, do you have it in your pantry? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they got in the house and they, they took a picture of everybody. Oh. And she was like wall to wall, like you said. Yeah. And she mm -hmm. had like beets. We couldn't get beets. And she had 24 cans. Oh. <laughs> Being know? sneaky. Being sneaky. You know, <laughs> you have to be diplomatic, but, uh, and she did. She helped the Baltimore Center out. Hey. But what you don't have, call me up and I'll try to help you. It worked out good. <laughs> but yet she was after her. A success her. story. That's great. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, they all have it. All have it. They all do it. Yeah, I've had clients that they come and then a couple weeks later they're back. We've given them more food than we should have, and and um, 
Lucy down at Neighbor to Neighbor, she has social work students that she works with. They're doing their internship. So she, she told them, these people were just here two weeks ago, and we've given them food on a regular basis for, for a year now, and you decide. So she gave them food, and, and Lucy was really upset. Why did you do that? I mean, it was your choice, but, you know, they're, they're using us because they've been everywhere else because yeah. they keep in touch with everyone. And this, they are giving more food than they really need. So, you know, it's okay to say, no, we can't help you at this time. So I'm saying it's up to you, you're on ground level there, to say, okay, you can't come back for two months or a month or six weeks, whatever. It's, it's your decision. Now, there are people, we keep records for this reason, that figure if they just put their hair back, wear a little hat, and put sunglasses on, you're not going to recognize them. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and they'll give you the funeral parlor's address, oh, which yeah. happened once. Yeah, someone came to, well, you can tell the story. You can tell better than um, I can. <laughs> we did a give, big giveaway after 08 when we had to quit shipping. And people came in late and got calling, and we were collect, or collecting names and stuff from those people for our food baskets for Christmas. And so I pulled the ones I thought were the most needy, and went through them, and the ones we knew the addresses on were delivered at that time. Now they have to come and get them. But I had four addresses I weren't sure, wasn't sure of, and so I called the state police. They referred me to 911 to send better maps. And they gave me landmarks and everything on the first three. And when I got to the fourth one, they said, he doesn't need one, Jim. Oh, do you know him? No, he doesn't need one. And you could hear a ripple of laughter in the background. And they had given me the number and address of our funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So yeah. I found another address. <laughs> you didn't help that client, huh? Yeah. didn't help that client at all. But they lied for crazy reasons. I mean, the clothing was free. We weren't sending them in. You know, material or anything, they weren't wanting them. So that's where, um, you draw, where do you draw the line? I had one last week that said, well, they need help, they had a house fire. They said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, we have clothes and blankets and stuff we can help you out. Well, how long ago did your house burn? A year and a half ago. We've <laughs> <laughs> had lots of support from Salvation and Goodwill, and I'm like, well, that is really great. But it was a year and a half ago? So what can we help you're you not, with today? You're not on your feet yet? Yeah. Well, I didn't say that. I just said, so what can we help you with today? Well, and they still had some money left on their thing, and they said they were told that whenever they needed more, they could come in. And I said, okay, so what do you guys in need of now? And she started listing off all the stuff, and I said, did you get any of that from the Lord Salvation Army, huh? And she said, well, yeah, we've had some, but we just need more. And I'm like, um, it sounds like someone that's just going around and working at And so I said, well, we can help you out with clothes, for sure. And I said, and then... Um, when you come back to, because I don't even remember the paperwork or whatever, I said, when you come back, we'll just sign you up for more clothes. And she said, well, we don't need to come back. And I'm thinking, well, then why are you here today? Yeah. <laughs> and so she only had like $12 left on her account. And like, yeah, we'll fill you up. And I said, and then when you come back, if you can just bring us a, you know, a check stub or something so that we know where your income falls on the little chart thing there. And she's like, oh, we won't be back. And I thought, uh-huh, because you're making more and we don't need it. So they did, she cleared out everything she had in the account that was there. Because we do 23 every 
three months okay. for adults. Okay. And so then she came and she cleared it all out. And she had been renewed like three or four times. And I'm like, your house burnt a year and a half ago and you're trying to use that? I was going to tell you, you can turn clients away if you don't think they're... We all we always do is we help them once. We help them. Everybody wants. They're there for a reason. Help them once, and if they don't qualify, I'm sorry, you don't qualify for help. And if you put that put that in front of them, some people plaster that on the front of their desk. I have a picture of it on here. We'll get into it later. Of you know the amount you make, the number of in your family, and if you don't fall in these lines, then we're we're not obligated. Or, you know. So Actually, when a person comes in with a fire, we ask them to, to um, the fire department usually will, will verify it's been a recent fire. I mean, you know, you're doing an emergency. If it's a fire, it's an emergency, like right after. If it's a year and a half, they're not there because of the fire. You know, there's, well, a, you know, like three months max. Back. Yeah. So I gave them some. Yeah, I have to I give them something. Let them take everything that they right. Have and they made it very clear that Goodwill and Salvation Army had set them all up. So what are you back here for then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't say that because yeah, that's a downfall line. I just can't. I gotta give them something and then say next time you come back, I gotta have a new group or something. Right. We have people that have been coming for fifteen years. Okay. Another um, policy. Is that if they're coming for a year and they, they're working, they're you know, they're not handicapped severely, or you know have a really good reason, and they're they're always going to be on. There's some people that are always going to need help, but there are people that we should be working to get off. And we used to ask them to take a financial class and offer a financial class if you can go to a bank, and they usually are more than happy to come and do a financial class for you because that. That's advertising for them. Or, or go over a budget with them. Or do a teaching something like uh, health, like canning or gardening or something. You know, give them some kind of class that's going to help them help themselves. Because a lot of them just don't have the skills or you don't have the resources that we have. And that's why they're in their end. So in order to be an accredited center, you need to have classes provided. I don't know if most people don't know that. They think, oh, I just put out my shingle and I'll distribute and and you need to interview, you need to distribute, and you need to provide classes. So um, that's one good way. Okay, next time you come in, you're going to have to have a class in between now and, and three months from now and give them a list of the classes that you and it's a lot of times our, our churches don't provide anything and that's uh, negative but like I said you can ask the police department to come in and do a safety class you can uh, you can ask the health department they'll come in and teach classes for you neighbor to neighbor got an award for teaching a safe sleep baby safe sleep class and they'll give safe things out to new mothers and they have that the infant mortality rate in that area was 25%. So they felt like they had to meet that need. And they have uh, made a difference. And it was noticeable. So, you know, look at the demographics of your community. You know, what is the biggest need in my community? If you don't know, ask. Some of the other entities, ask them, you know, what's, what's your biggest need? Or other churches or, you know, just clients or 
go online and look at the demographics of your 25% you know, mortality was something they found out online. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought Muskegon was a forest county. Wow, I know you are up there high, so now you're okay. So um, there are people out there with three social security numbers, and they're just defrauding the system. Yeah, we have seen that. We'll help you this once, but you don't qualify. We can't take you back. You're allowed to do that. And I had one uh, director call me and said, this person was totally, totally inappropriately mean to one of my volunteers. Do I have to serve them? And I said, no. We're not government. We don't have to serve anybody. You know, we do because we care. He says, if you're going to behave this way, I'm asking you to leave politely. And if you come back, I want you to treat my volunteers with dignity and respect. Don't use that kind of language. You're allowed to do that. You know, you can turn people away if you need to. Well, for a situation where you might feel like you're in harm or, or harassment or something like that, you can ask them to leave. We're not here to hurt ourselves. Or, we no. had a guy, we have a man in Lapeer that comes in and he's got a wooden back support with three pants on it. He's got construction cones on top of his van to repent the stuff. <laughs> and he came in to one of our giveaways. And I didn't mind that he was there. He makes me really nervous, but I, you know, I could deal with it. I wasn't there alone. But then he went up to some of the clients and said, Are you saved? Do you know about Jesus? How did you handle that? Well, first of all, I told him we can't ask the clients that. They stop. So then he went to my workers. Where's your husband? What, what's your husband doing today? And I told him mine was asleep. I've never been told that before. Well, my husband was dead. Had cancer. And he just kind of stumped him. And I finally said, Jeff, you have to leave or I'm calling that. And I did call him, sir. I said, Jeff is here. And he's asking all these questions, and it's inappropriate. So you're making our clients and volunteers uncomfortable with your well, questioning? That's and, what I told Pastor. Yeah. I said, we're just not comfortable with this. And he said, ask him to leave if he doesn't want me to do If it's and a matter of safety or something like that, yeah. We try not to say no, but sometimes you have to. And I said, no. I said, but we can help people. He goes, well, I know that because I already get that. But I was told there was free food here today. And he said, no, we don't have free food today. And he was just really, I mean, he was persistent. And I said, um, well, you need to just let whoever, you know, I can let this. You know, let whoever told you that, that that's not accurate information because I had to so that I didn't. Plastered <laughs> on there. Well, I have a voucher, and I said, well, that's perfect. Do you want me to look and see how much you have left? And he said, no, I already know. And I said, okay, so he went into the clothes cart and came back with two dresses. And I said, oh, you wear dresses? <laughs> smile. I had to keep smiling the whole time. I said, so you wear dresses? And he said, no, it's for my girl. And I said, well, your girl probably should get her own voucher. Has to come. And he said, um, well, she was there. She was just hiding out the lobby. Oh, okay. And I said, um, well, your girl can get her own. 
because we're trying to help you with goals for school or for work or whatever you need them for. So he said, well, I don't know why this has to work this way. It never did before. I've always got what I ever wanted. And I'm like, well, I said, well, I said, I am here Monday through Friday, 10 to 4. You just let me know when I can help you out. So he walked away with the dresses. And the two girls that came in with him, the one girl had a voucher also. So she came up with those two dresses and a couple for herself. And I said, I just want you to know that I know that those two dresses are not for you. I said, the girl that was going to wear those can't apply for her own voucher. Well, she's too young. And I said, the voucher program is to help you get clothes for schooling or for work. So I'm going to let it happen this time, but don't, don't do it again, please. So she walks. I was at the cash register. She walked down the aisle, and, the little, and this other girl met her halfway, and she said, well, we'll just come back on another day because the other lady wants to have it so I came around the cash register and I said, I just wanted you to know that I work here 10 to 4, Monday through Friday, so I hope to see you again soon. <laughs> and then she left. And I haven't seen him since. There but is I no age limit. He slammed his arm yeah. on the counter, and I'm like, I just don't think it's safe for one person to work to do this stuff anymore. Well, we're not allowed to have one person to open a center. There should be two people yeah. present okay. at all times. That's one of the rules. Did you, do you have a policy manual? Policy manual? No, I need one. Okay. Yes. okay. I'll get you one. Because yeah, no, I don't have anything. I don't know anything about it. We'll just, take care of that. And there's no age limit. We help babies all the way up to when you pass away. Yeah, but they have parents. I'm just thinking of this 18-year-old that come in with this, you know, $800 cell phone. And, and I said, you know, next time you come to review, can you bring a case that blood at work? I've never worked. Like, well, then you probably should. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I just, I bought it. Yes. And I kept a smile on my face. Okay. Making a referral. Thanks for all your comments. They're good. It's important to know what other resources are available in your community. Rarely does one center meet all the needs of every client. Counties publish human services directories. Your job is to match your client with the right resources. If you can help them, somebody else can. You write, I have the little blue referral sheets. You can order them. They are very cheap. And just write out their name and you sign it with your organization and refer it to that other organization. Once you get people into programs, they still need support. So you need to follow up. We don't just refer them and drop them. You keep up with them and make sure that their needs are met. Steps to referring. Prepare clients so they do not feel you're rejecting them. You know, in a caring way, I would like to refer you to this other agency because they have what you need. Feel free to come back here. These are the services we provide. It's ultimately, it will ultimately be the client's decision to go to the other agency. You can't force something. It's their decision. Prepare the agency for the client's arrival. Let them know that you are referring by a phone call or whatever. Follow-up appointment will gather information as to how they were treated at the other place. Were your needs met there? So like I said, follow-up. Is progress being made? Be encouraged and supportive. Christian services do not break the relationship with the client after a referral is made, unlike most other uh, Where? There we go. Referral, referral is not passing the buck, telling a client to just go to another agency or saying we don't do that here or just giving out information. I think we pretty much are on the same page there. I'm impressed with the caring attitude that my, my center directors have. I've never really had a, a, a serious problem with any of them. 
There is no other resource you can give a client than the awesome healing power of God, peace of the Holy Spirit, and the redemptive love of Jesus. Offer relevant, attractive literature. Inquire about their spiritual resources. Offer to pray with your clients. Went into a brand new center. I took Joy with me, and he was on fire, and he had everything organized and just perfect. And I walked in there, and I go, this really looks good. So I sat down with him, and we're talking about the spiritual aspect. And we are Adventist Community Services. We are a church organization, and we are not embarrassed by that, and we are open about it. We want you to have all the spiritual input that, you know, whatever you need. And um, so I asked him, I said, where's your literature? Because he was talking about how he gives literature away and how he wants people to, to um, just say, where's your literature? I don't see it. Oh, it's up there on the shelf. I'm like, I don't see it. He goes, what, it's up there? I said, well, why is it up there? Yeah, I can't see it. <laughs> and so I said, here, either, you know, instead of having it down, you put it up. Or you would put it out on the table where it's in front of you. Or get one of those racks and put it on the wall. Or, you know, just plaster everywhere with literature. You know, some of our literature is going to meet some of their needs. <laughs> so we need to offer it to them. Um, inquire about their spiritual resources. How often do when they tell their story, and like we, we did with the feeling words, wow, that is a lot for anyone to have to handle. Do you have any spiritual resources to help you with that problem? And they'll usually say, you know, that, that's a, a it's not a yes or no question. Usually they'll answer it, you know, with the, well, I have a pastor, or I go to church, or I haven't been to church in 50 years, or whatever, you know, it's an opening statement or inquiry about how we can help them spiritually. Offer to pray with your clients. I think 90, in the 90s, high 90s of people that will re respond positively. If they're telling you a story, how their great needs, and you're asking them to pray for their needs, why would they turn that down? Yeah. And I know clients who just keep coming back because they want you to pray for them. <laughs> and some of our centers do more than others. But this, you know, clients will sense their spiritual needs in time, just allowing them to realize the resources they have, you know, how wonderful Jesus is, and, and he can help you with this problem with your stress, and he can, you know, just seeing what's available will make them want it. Confronting a sin or making them feel guilty is never effective. You know, the negativity never does. We in community services meet the physical needs mostly, which we have to, fir to first before we can effectively change a person's life. You have to meet their felt needs before you can meet the needs they don't know they have. And to do an effective interview, you need to reassure the client that you will help them and develop trust. Let them know you would like to tell them more about your other services, such as classes, seminars, and Bible studies. This is what I was telling you. And there's a couple of these out there. This is a, one example. Print something like that off, plaster it on your desk right in front of them. You know, do you fit in this category? You know, if, you, if you don't, I mean, if they're making 90000 a year, this one is in the policy manual. Sure, it's on the computer. I can email it to you or whatever. It's in the policy manual, so you'll have it. And there's also other ones in the policy manual. That, uh, there's also a 
poverty level that they could fit into. So you need to know that kind of stuff. A couple more. How do you get to you ask them? And it's on the interview sheet. And a lot of people make their own interview sheets, and I've looked over those, like how this is different than mine. And it's just information is in a different place on the page. As long as you ask, you ask them, what are your financial financial income? What what? How do you make a living? What what do you do? You have a job, or you know, what is your income level? I started in March, and ninety percent of the people that I've dealt with since March have zero income. Okay, which is true, because then I say, because then I said, you know, we're gonna next time you renew, can you bring in from your account? Suddenly they all have money, whether it's a disability. You know, they get money from it because disability. they get disability. Yeah. And I said, well, but that's income. Yeah, you don't ask them if they have a job. Usually you ask them what their yeah. income level yeah, is yeah. or what is their source of income. And then I ask for their driver's license. I don't have to. We used to have to copy it. Like, why am I doing that? I just ask to see it. Are you really who you are? Like I said, there's people that put the glasses on and expect you not to recognize them. They use different <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing, yeah. But we have to ask them their financial resources because a lot of them don't qualify. And we, like I said, we help them once and we tell them you don't fit into the parameters of our, our helping. Physical needs. No one ever moves past those needs until they are met. Safety. Comfort, peace. Come after people feel safe. Love. People need positive strokes and self-esteem. Recognition instills confidence and self-actualization. Needs met moves towards curiosity and creativity. So, you know, this is what everybody goes through. We're all, we're all there, but nobody ever moves past the felt needs. If, they have, if they're hungry, they're not going to do anything except look for food. I have uh, several... And leading up to advocacy, I don't know where we are in time, but I'm almost done. Uh, helping this man for five years, and it wasn't on a, a regular basis. He called me a long time ago, about five years ago, says, I'm out of insulin, I'm a diabetic, I'm out of money, no one else will help me. Will you? And I, Yeah, I went to Walmart and I bought him some insulin. I'm, like, I'm an RN, I don't I don't want that to happen, you know. Diabetics need insulin. So he thanked me, and he was okay. And uh, a couple years later, he called me and asked me if I'd buy him a Bible. I'm like, well, I'm not going to turn down a chance to buy somebody a Bible. And uh, he said, the church won't give me one. And I'm like, that sounds really weird. And so I called the pastor. It was an Adventist church. He was having a series. And my, I asked my husband, why would a pastor in a series charge for a Bible? I want you to tell me that, because he's an evangelist. And he said, well, because if they pay for it, they're more likely to read it. So I called the pastor, and he says, oh, we'll give him the Bible. It's not a problem. We just, you know, basically what my husband just said. Okay. So after that, he, he called. He says, you know, I'm having some health issues, and I'm in the hospital, and I thought Medicaid paid for everything, and they don't. And so, you know, I'm helping him a little bit here and there, and I'm trying to, to decide. You know, he doesn't have a lot of resources. He doesn't have a lot of family. He doesn't have an education. He might have some, some uh, health, uh, mental health issues, but he's desperate. This man is desperate. 
and he didn't tell me a lot about himself, and I didn't pry. And you know, maybe I should have. I could have helped him sooner, but I found out later he only makes seven hundred dollars a month. I said, nobody can live on that. He's got a wife. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, he's got the bridge card and he's on Medicaid, but he's not making enough to pay for the cheapest, the cheapest thing that you can rent out there, the cheapest apartment, cheapest trailer. They're all five hundred dollars. If I spend five hundred, then I have to pay utilities. I had nothing left, and um, so I, I asked every entity I could find. And he he just slips through every crack. And he is now homeless because he's, his trailer was condemned by the health department and they, they evicted him. And he has gone everywhere asking for help. And, it, you know, any money we give him is just a drop in a, a bottomless pit, basically. Um, in order to get a check, you have to have a permanent address for one month. And he's on the street, and he has no money, so he can't. No address. No ad yeah, no address, so he can't get money, so he can't right. get an ad. You know, it's like a catch-22. Um, the elderly yeah. right now are, there's so many in such a desperate acts because they don't make enough money to make their physical bills and their uh, electricity and, I mean, I mean, elderly people all the time to take care of elderly people. It's, it's getting yeah. to be disastrous. Yeah. It's, it, it is sad because there's no entity out there that can help us now. I and mean, he is on the street now, and yeah. there's nothing I can do about it. And I've, and I've had several pastors right on campus, so I've been talking to them during camp meeting to try and get churches to help them to get through. And it's not working. And I'm like, that's so frustrating. And advocacy is one of our things that we don't do very often, but sometimes we just need to act on the behalf of an individual or family when they are unable to act for themselves. Elderly, refugees is what we're doing now. A lot of advocacy with that, starting a refugee ministry in Grand Rapids and in Battle Creek and in Detroit and any other persons. You know, it's just sometimes we need to act on behalf of them to try and change the laws that, and that gets really intense, and it's a, like a full-time job when you do something like that. You're, you're going and talking to people, we need to change this rule, or, or you know, whatever. It's, it's difficult, but it's very, very necessary. We had the other day and talked to the elderly about how many scams, there's so many scams going to take what money the people have, elderly have, and it's just as That's a whole nother seminar yeah. right there. Yeah. My father was scammed out of $110,000. Yeah. yeah, and you know he was so embarrassed, I kept telling him. I yeah. took a day off from work just to tell him, you know, to, to investigate what he was telling me. Was, oh, this is a wonderful thing. And, and I called the police and everything, and, and he wouldn't believe me. And then after the fact, you know, he lost uh, about $120,000. And, and he, like I said, he was so embarrassed. And he ended up going to court to testify against these people. And they, he got 
$9,000 back of all that money that he spent. Well, right now mm -hmm. it's other countries that are scamming. Uh, and you think it's local people, but mm -hmm. it's... I guess I, it's a whole other seminar. I probably should do a seminar on that. My yeah. husband asked me to because I had such a, a story on my father. Well, let's have prayer. And Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the time we've had together today. I pray that you'll help us to remember what we learned and, and that they know I am a resource that they can come to and that we can help people all over Michigan um, in a better way. Thank you and praise you for all your love and kindness to us. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.